You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. Heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Jesus is God. And this is what we're going to be talking about today as we're in the second week of our series, Unfiltered Jesus. Because last week, Brian Mowry, our senior pastor, he talked about the humanity of Jesus. And so today, we're going to continue along those lines by talking about the divinity of Jesus, that he is also fully God. But at the same time, when it comes to this topic, a few of the questions that we have to wrestle with are, why is this important? Why is it important that Jesus is God? And how does it impact your life and mine today? So as we continue on, would you join me in prayer? Lord, we are grateful grateful, Lord, that you came. Lord, 2,000 years ago, you entered into human history, and you are fully God, and you are fully human, and it's a mystery that we cannot understand or fully comprehend. But thank you, Lord, that it impacted and changed the course of human history, and it continues who you are, continues to impact lives and transform lives today. And so as we really dive into Lord, today your divinity, and we really look into this, Lord, and unpack it a little bit more. I pray, Lord, through your Holy Spirit that you would open up our eyes and ears to what you have to show us and the things that you also want to speak to us, Lord. We're grateful, Lord, and we pray all these things in your powerful, powerful name. Amen. Amen. 
And so today, as I mentioned, we're in the second week of this series, Unfiltered Jesus. And as I was thinking about what we're going to be talking about today, I was reflecting back on some of the conversations, a lot of the conversations that I've had in my lifetime about Jesus. And I've had the opportunity, as probably many of us have, to talk to people from many different nations, many different backgrounds, people who have many different belief systems. And for the most part, what I found is is that most people, when it comes to Jesus, we can agree that Jesus was a good person. Most people can agree that, in fact, he was even a good teacher who taught good life principles and therefore someone to be respected. But when it comes to recognizing Jesus as God, that's where the disagreement happens and that's where the divergence happens. And some people have even pointed out that Jesus never explicitly said he was God. And you know what? They're right. Because there's no record in the scriptures of Jesus ever showing up and saying, hey everyone, I am God. This is who I am. So you can stop what you're doing and start worshiping me. He never ever said that. And the reason he didn't say that was that because he didn't have to. And growing up, I wanted to be a surgeon. And the reason why I wanted to be a surgeon wasn't because I wanted to help people. In fact, helping people wasn't even on the list. But the reason why I wanted to become a doctor was I wanted the money and the prestige. And so I wanted to drive a BMW M5, if you know what that is. I wanted to have a house by the water, and I wanted everyone to call me doctor. I wanted to be able to introduce myself saying, my name is Dr. Andrew Kim. What kind of doctor, you ask? MD, just in case you were wondering. And if I actually became a doctor, I actually went through this whole journey, even took the MCATs, the standardized tests for that, until a guy just radically changed my life. But I, if I actually became a doctor, I would have been the most obnoxious and pretentious human being on this earth. But this is the thing, that we all know people like this, people who lead with their position and their title, who feel compelled to just share all the letters that are both before and after their name, because they need to know, they need us to know how important they are. But at the same time, we also knew, know people on the other end of the spectrum people who don't share their position or title because they don't have to. Because rather than sharing it, they show it through the way that they love, live, and lead others. And this was Jesus. And over this next year, we're going to be really focusing on the gospel of Luke, which I'm really excited about because it's going to allow us to dive a lot deeper into the words of Jesus. And today, we're going to be looking at a story that's found in the ninth chapter of this gospel in the New Testament, where the author Luke, he gives us three big clues, three huge hints as to who Jesus is, is that Jesus is none other than God himself. And so this is how he starts off this passage. And Luke writes, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him. And Peter, John, and James were three of Jesus' disciples, the ones out of the 12 who were the closest to him. And they went up onto a mountain to pray. And so Luke starts off by saying, eight days after Jesus said this, and so we read this and we wonder, what in the world did Jesus say a week ago? And so to zoom out a little bit even further so we can understand this is that at this point in Jesus' life and ministry, he had performed a number of miracles. Many people had heard his teachings. And so people were asking questions and they were wondering, who exactly is this Jesus person? Could he be a prophet? Or maybe, just maybe, something more. And so Jesus, 
He knew that people were asking these questions. He knew that these conversations were happening all around him. And so he turns to his 12 disciples, these 12 guys who were the closest to him and had spent nearly every waking moment with him for the past handful of of months and years. And he turns to them and he says, who do you say that I am? And then his disciple Peter, who is the loud one, the brash one, the bold one, this guy stands up and he makes a landmark statement and he says, Jesus, who you are is that you are none other than God himself. And Jesus' response to this was that he affirmed Peter's statement. And then he shared with his followers that eventually he would have to die. But three days later, he would rise again. And he continued to teach them what it meant to follow him and to be his disciples. And so this is what Jesus had explained to them. This is what he had taught them eight days ago. And so we fast forward eight days later into the story that we are in right now. And Peter, James, and John, they find themselves on a mountain with Jesus, having hiked up there to pray. And something that we need to understand is that whenever there's a mountain mentioned in the scriptures, it's a pretty good bet that something dramatic or revelatory is about to happen. And this is no different. So Luke continues on by saying, as he, meaning Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And Peter and his companions were very sleepy. It seemed like they were sleepy a lot. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Peter did not know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And the disciples kept this to themselves and didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. And so these three guys, along with Jesus, they take this hike up onto a mountain. And when they get to the top of the mountain, Peter, James, and John start nodding off and falling asleep, probably because it had been a long day, an action-packed day, and they had just finished this hike. And so they're probably doing one of these, right? Sort of just nodding off. And what happens is, is that there's this bright light which wakes them up. And I can imagine they're rubbing their eyes, thinking to themselves, I don't remember it being this bright out. And they look up, and Jesus is standing in front of them. And what they noticed was, was that his appearance, his appearance had radically changed. And I have a friend named Sam. He was the best man at my wedding. And what you have to understand about Sam is that he is a really, really good-looking human being, really good-looking guy. And the thing is, is that over the years, Sam has changed his look up a lot, his look up here. But the unfair thing that he has going on is that it doesn't matter how he looks up here, what he does. He could have long hair, short hair, no hair. He could, have, he could wear glasses or not. He could be clean shaven. He could have a beard, a goatee, even a mustache looks good on him. And we all have friends like Sam, and we hate them for their superior genes. And like Sam, you know what? I've tried to change up my look over the years, what my face looks like, the appearance up here. And it has never, ever worked out. I kid you not, I used to have longer hair. And it was an absolute disaster. 
And then I made it worse by thinking a perm would look good in that longer hair. You know, that was really bad. And there are no pictures of this, by the way, just in case. So don't even ask me to show you a picture. And, but in addition to that, I can't wear, glasses look really bad on me because I have a really wide head. And my mom, every single time she sees me, she reminds me of it every time. She's always like, you know what, Andrew? It was so hard giving birth to you because you have a really big head. I shares it with all of my friends as well. And also, I can't, I can't grow facial hair to save my life. And there are 10-year-old boys in this world who can grow more facial hair than I can. And so this right here, this is as good as it gets. This is a look that I've had for so many years because my face cannot change. But, but on a mountain about 2,000 years ago, Jesus' face did. And it's not like he grew a goatee or got a haircut or put on a pair of glasses. But rather, if we read the Gospel of Matthew, what Matthew tells us is that it, it was like sunshine pouring, sunlight pouring from Jesus' face. And looking at Jesus' face was like looking at the sun. And his clothes became white as light. Because what happened on that mountain was, was that Jesus lifted the veil just a little bit and revealed to these three disciples a little bit more, a little bit more of who he was. And when he lifted that veil, the glory of God came bursting out. And what happened was, on that mountain, Jesus appeared as God. And this is the first clue that Luke gives us in saying that this is who Jesus is. Open your eyes that Jesus is God. And I am not an outdoors person. I grew up in the middle of a city. I didn't even have a lawn growing up. And so I am a concrete jungle kind of guy. And so I am not into camping. I do not like camping because when you go camping, you're surrounded by dirt and I don't like dirt. I don't like, I don't like hiking because I don't understand it because all hiking to me is uphill walking and why would anyone want to do that? And so this whole thing that Peter, James and John were doing with Jesus, I probably would have opted out. But this is the thing, right? But because I love my wife, a number of years ago, we went camping in Yosemite and I'll never forget the moment that we actually drove, first drove in to the park. And looking around, it was absolutely, the scenery was absolutely breathtaking. And it was so beautiful that I, was, I just had to stop the car and get out. And I remember standing on the edge of a cliff, looking out at this one portion of the park. And it just left me speechless. And it was as if Jesus just lifted the veil just a little bit. And through his creation, his glory was just bursting out. And for all of us, we will probably never be in the position that Peter, James, and John were in, and that we will never physically see Jesus standing in front of us. But as we move through our lives, if we open our eyes, we will catch glimpses of his glory, and we will catch glimpses of his godness all around us. And Jesus saying, this is who I am. I am God. And so what we see, going back, jumping back into the story, is that Peter, James, and John are up on a mountain, and they, what they find is, is that they're not alone because not only is Jesus there, but you also have these two other people, Moses and Elijah, two of the greatest leaders in the history of Israel. And the thing with Moses was who he was is that he was the one who, had the, who God used to liberate his people from slavery in Egypt. Also the one who God gave the 10 commandments to, oh, by the way, also on a mountain. And Elijah was a prophet, one of the greatest in the history of Israel. The one who on a mountain, again, called down fire from heaven. 
And so Peter is standing there, and he sees in front of him two of the greatest heroes, two of the greatest leaders in Israel's history. And he's like sweating. He doesn't know how to respond because he's nervous, and his palms are all so sweaty. And honestly, we'd probably respond the same way. Because imagine if a person that you admire, that you respect the most was standing in front of you. Imagine if Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, Taylor Swift was standing in front of you, right? We probably feel the exact same way. And so Peter doesn't know what to do. And so he's trying to gather himself and he just sort of stammers and he says, Jesus, how about we build three monuments to honor each of you? But before he's able to do anything, this is what happens. It says, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And it was the voice of God himself declaring that Jesus is God. And when we look throughout Jesus's life on earth, what we see is that this happened over and over and over again. And that so many of the voices around him affirming and declaring that this is who he is, that he is God. It happened at his birth with the angel celebrating the entrance of God himself into human history. It happened at his baptism when in a similar way, God speaks and he says, you know what? This is my son. Jesus is my son in whom I am well pleased. It happened at Jesus's crucifixion with the Roman soldier's confession, creation's response to Jesus's death, a widow's testimony at Jesus's grave and on and on it goes. All affirming, all declaring that Jesus is God. And a number of years ago, I met a person in our community named Tom. And the thing that was so unique to me about Tom was that up to that point in his life, he had never ever stepped inside of a church, not even for Easter or Christmas, never had been in a church before. And he had never opened up the Bible before, not even one of those Bibles that you have in the hotel, right? Not even anything like that. And the thing was, is that one morning, he shared a story with me is that he said one morning on his way to work, he turned on the radio and there was a pastor who was giving a message on that radio station. And normally he would just switch the station and just think nothing of it. But something that this person was saying drew him in that day. And so he listened to the entire message. And at the end of it, he felt this burning desire to, that he needed to go to church. But he didn't know any churches in the area, wasn't familiar with churches. And so he did what we all do when we need to find the answer to something. He Googled it. And so Kensington comes at the top of that list and he came to our service that night. And again, never ever has been to church before, never experienced a service like this before. And he sat in the back just quietly trying to take it all in. And I remember a handful of months after this first experience that I met him and he was sharing with me and he shared with me, he was like, you know what? That was a weird time because you guys did things that I didn't understand and it just sort of felt a little bit weird in that space. But this was the thing that on that night, he felt something and he experienced something that he had never felt and experienced before. And so he kept on coming back. And the interesting thing was, is that he didn't tell anyone he was going to church, not even his girlfriend. Every single week, he would just disappear for an hour and people would be texting him, what are you doing? Where are you? And he'd just ignore all of them and just keep on coming to church by himself. But a handful of months into this, he actually invited his girlfriend to come. And it was through this community that they encountered Jesus and they had their lives changed. And I remember the day that they were baptized and they're standing in the water and I was a part of that baptism. And it was a significant day for them, but it was also a significant day for me, having walked alongside of them a little bit and also understanding their story. 
And at their baptism, through their actions and through their words, what they did was they declared who Jesus is, that Jesus is God, that he was the one who had changed their lives because no human being could ever do what they had experienced. And when they went into that water and they came out, they said, Jesus is God, and we will follow him for the rest of our lives. And life is crazy. We're all being pulled in all these different directions. On basically for most of the week, I feel like my kid's Uber driver, and probably many of you feel that same way as well. And we're going this way and that. We have work demands, family demands, social, friends demands, all of these things that we need to get done. But this is the thing. When we actually slow down and we open our eyes and we open our ears, we are able to hear this as well. And we're able to see this as well. Whether it be through the people around us, through the circumstances around us, whether it's through creation in all of these different ways, all declaring this message that Jesus is And so Peter, James, and John are up on this mountain, and they're not alone. Jesus is there, Moses is there, and Elijah is there. But for Moses and Elijah, in addition to being these two great leaders of the faith, in this story, what they also represented was something more, something that was absolutely foundational and so important to the people of God. And that what Moses represented is that he represented the Old Testament law because God was the one who gave the law to Moses centuries before, again, on a mountain. And the purpose of the law was that it was to serve as the, really the bedrock of guiding ideals for the people of God, to show them this is what it means to love God and to love others. But at the same time, another purpose of the law was to expose and to reveal sin in our life, this problem of sin in our life, and to show us as human beings that we cannot solve this problem ourselves, that we need a savior. And the apostle Paul actually says this in the New Testament, and that he wrote, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. One of the things that Moses represents, this incredibly foundational aspect of Jewish life, it was the law. And then Elijah, as I mentioned, he was the prophet. And so he, he was a prophet. And so he represented the prophets. And what the prophets did was that they pointed to the solution for our sin that they pointed to the Savior and they spoke to who he would be and the fact that he would eventually come and save us from our sins. And so the, all of them are up there. And when Peter, James, and John, they see Jesus and he's spending time, he's hanging out, he's having conversations with Moses and Elijah, what it would have communicated to them was that Jesus is at least on par with them and what they represent. That Jesus is just as important as these two heroes of the faith, Moses and Elijah, and also the law and the prophets. Which is why Peter says, hey, Jesus, how about we build these three monuments to honor all three of you? But again, before he's able to do anything, something very interesting happened. And it said, a voice came from the cloud, God's voice, saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. So what's happening is, is that you have some very important voices up on that mountain. And then in the midst of all of these voices, God says, this is the most important one. Listen to him, listen to Jesus. And then at one point, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, they're all up there. 
And then Moses and Elijah disappear. And this was God communicating that Jesus is greater. He is greater than Moses and Elijah, and he is greater than what they represent, the law as well as the prophets. And in the mind of a first century Jew, only God himself would have been able to occupy that position. And so what we see in this story is that Jesus, he appears as God. He is declared as God. And what we see here is that he is positioned as God. And what Luke is doing here is that he is screaming out. This is who Jesus is. He is none other than God himself. He is above all, which is our theme as a community this year, that we would know, that we would all know that above all that Jesus is Lord, that he is the very core, that he is the foundation of who we are and everything that we do, that Jesus is God. That's what Luke is saying. But understanding this, the questions that we then have to ask is, is that why is this important? That's great that Jesus is God, wonderful, but why does that make a difference today in your life and in mine? Why is it enough for us to believe that Jesus was a good person, you know, a good human being who taught some good things? And if we, why don't we just follow his teachings and make this place a more beautiful world? Why is that not enough? And every summer, my family and I, we take a road trip out to Minnesota to visit my wife Robin's family. And this year, we decided to rent a minivan. And so the day came for us to pick up this minivan. And so, of course, all my kids came with me. And we pick up this minivan. And on our ride home, we noticed that all of these things were wrong with this vehicle. The backup camera didn't work. My kids are in the back, fiddling with everything in the back. And they say to me, one after the other, this place, this, the back smells like smoke. And it did, and it smelled awful. And the list just went on and on and on. And so when I got home, I called my rental car associate, Nick. And love the guy, great guy. And I told him all the things that were wrong with the minivan. And he was great. He was so apologetic, and he said, sorry, I think a hundred times. And then he promised, he made a promise. And he said, Andrew, I promise you, before you go on this trip, I will get you another minivan. But then he said, oh, but I have to first check with my boss, and then I'll let you know. And when he said that, I realized that as great as Nick was, that he didn't have the power or the authority to deliver what he had promised. And the thing is, is that we all know people like this. We all know people who make huge promises, great promises, but they don't have the power, they don't have the ability, they do not have the authority to actually come through. And when we actually look at the scriptures, what we see is, and we can even Google this, Right? If we Google promises of Jesus, there are so many promises that he gave humanity. And that he said that in me, in me, you will find true rest for your souls. He said that in the midst of the brokenness, the heartbreak, the pain of this world, that we can experience hope, we can experience peace, we can even have joy in the midst of it. And he said that if you believe in me and if you choose to follow me, You can experience not just any life, but eternal life, which isn't just life after we die and go to heaven, but rather it's the beautiful life that we have the privilege of stepping into the moment we say yes to following Jesus. And the reason why we can step into that is because of what Jesus did. He's that he died on the cross and he rose again and he conquered the powers of sin and death. And these are just a handful of the promises. There are so many others. But the thing is, is that if Jesus is just a normal human being like you and me, 
that he does not have the ability, no matter how good, no matter how wealthy, no matter how influential, no matter how morally upstanding he may be, the reality is, is that he can't fulfill any of these promises because what human being can give life to another human being? I can't do that. You can't do that. None of us can do that. But, but if Jesus is who he promised he was, if Jesus is God, that means he has the ability, he has the power, and he has the authority to come through and to deliver on every single one of these. And this past week, I had a lot of conversations with many people in our community that just really weighed heavy on me. Recently, I had a conversation with a 12-year-old Asian-American girl who goes to school, middle school, in Rochester Hills. And she shared with me that not too long ago, another boy in her school came up to her and just simply said, out of the blue, hey, Ching Chong. And when I heard that, it both infuriated me, but at the same time, it broke my heart. And that where does a 12-year-old boy learn to say racist and hateful things like that and actually think that it's okay for these words to come out of their mouth? I talked to somebody else who would recently laid off. I talked to somebody else in our community this past week who's deeply struggling with loneliness. Somebody else who continues to navigate some really difficult health issues. Another family, a great family, who's been a part of our community for so many years, who suddenly and unexpectedly lost their husband, lost their father. And all of these people, they're praying. They're praying. They're followers of Jesus. And they are praying and asking, Jesus, we need you. We need you to enter into our situation and we need you to give us what only you can give. We need hope. We need comfort. We need strength. We need peace. We need your protection. And we need your presence to walk alongside of us. And I've been praying for these people as well. But it dawned on me this week that if Jesus is just like you and me, what is the point of us praying? Because the things that we're asking for, if he's just another human being, he can't do any of these things. But if he is God, all of these things that we are asking for, that he can give us. He may not necessarily give them to us because he doesn't always give us what we want, but every single time he gives us what we need. And if Jesus is God, it changes everything. That is why it is important. And maybe for some of us here, that we don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I believe if that is you, the invitation that Jesus is extending to you today is to come, come, follow me. Because when we actually make that decision, these promises that I've been talking about and that we've been hearing about today, they begin to become a reality in our lives. And it changes us. And if we want to make this decision today, the thing is, is that we don't have to stand up. We don't have to put our hand up. We don't have to draw any attention but really it's a decision that we can make where we are sitting, whether we're here in this room or watching on stream. And so if this is a decision that you would like to make today to embark on this journey that will change your life, the most beautiful journey that you will ever experience, this is what I want to invite us to do. If we could just all close our eyes just for a handful of seconds and that you would pray this prayer with me. You can say it out loud or you can say it in your head, but just simply to pray this, Jesus, I give you my life and I receive the life you have for me. Amen. Amen. And if you made this decision 
you know what? We are thrilled that you did and you took that first step. But this is what I also want to challenge you to do. Two things, that before you leave this place, before you turn off the stream, share the fact that you made this decision with somebody around you. Text someone, call someone, share it with a person that you came with. But at the same time, you may be curious, what do I do now? What's the next step? And I want to invite you, I want to challenge you, come this Wednesday here at 6.30 to Wednesday nights at Troy because that's exactly what we're doing. Because the purpose of Wednesday nights is to learn, to grow in our faith and to connect not only with one another, but to connect most importantly with God and for us as a community to begin to move towards him. Come on Wednesdays. But at the same time, let me also recognize this, that there may be some people in this room and some people watching on stream. Maybe we have been journeying with Jesus for a period of time, but because of the difficulty, the pain, the hardship, and life is just hard. And maybe that's eroded our faith just a little bit. And there is a story that's found in the gospel of Mark. And it's where a father came to Jesus asking Jesus, can you please heal my son? And this is what Jesus said to him. He said, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. I do believe, he said, but help me overcome my unbelief. And I love this father's response because he's honest. And he said, you know what, Jesus, I do believe. Life has been hard. My son has been sick and it has been an uphill battle. And I have faith, but that faith is a remnant of what it used to be. In the midst of it, I still have doubts, Jesus. And so he says, Jesus, I have faith. I have, I have belief, but would you help me with my unbelief? And maybe that's where some of us are today and that we have been following Jesus for years or maybe decades, but because of how difficult life is and the circumstances that we have faced, maybe these promises that we're talking about today, we don't really believe them as much as we did maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And if that is us, that my challenge and my invitation to us today would be to pray this same prayer, to say to Jesus what this father did all of these centuries ago. Jesus, I do believe, I do, it's still there. But life has been so hard. Would you help me with my unbelief? And that when we do, Jesus enters in and he does what no human being can do and what only God can do walking with us, giving us everything, not that we want, but that we need. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that our doubts, Lord, are not too big for you and that you're not threatened by our doubts and it's human to have doubts. I have doubts, we all have doubts here, Lord. And you also understand because you live this life, Lord, and Brian talked about this last week, that life is hard, God. And we go up and down, Lord, so many times in our relationship with you, but thank you that you are patient, that you are kind, and that you never, ever give up on us. And I know, Lord, there are people who are here in this room and watching on stream, Lord, that they have gone through and are currently going through some really hard things in their life. And so for these people specifically, Lord, we want to pray, Lord, that you would just show up and show yourself in such a tangible way. But at the same time, Lord, to challenge, Lord, if this is where we are, that we would just pray this same prayer of this father, 
Lord, I do believe, we do believe, but help us in our unbelief. And thank you that when we say that, Lord, you don't just leave us, but that you continue to pursue us, continue to reveal yourself to us. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness, your goodness to us. Thank you that you are God. And because of that, that changes everything. And we pray all these things in your powerful name. Amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.